You are listening to the Your Shining Self podcast for women who need messages of hope, love, and transformation. And now, your host, Tish. You'll find today's episode, show notes, and more over at shiningself.com forward slash 36. Hey there, listeners. Today I'm flying solo, and the reason I decided to do a solo show is because on March 3rd, it was a pretty big day in my life. March 3rd was the mark of my seven-year sober anniversary. Now, I've been in the program in AA for um, a little over nine years. I did have a relapse um, one month and six days before my first two-year anniversary, and I you know, people used to say, oh, it's so cliche when I hear somebody say, oh, that relapse was the best thing that happened to me. And <laughs> I'm going to say it, that relapse was the best damn thing that could have happened to me. Now, thank God I was one of the lucky ones and my relapse was literally only 24 hours. I went out, I had a night of binge drinking. The next morning I... um you know, was so embarrassed and um, ashamed that I had went back out. And, um, you know, most of all, I was embarrassed and humiliated by the fact that, you know, my son had to see me the way that he saw me that night, even though, you know, over the years, you know, he had seen, seen, seen me drinking, you know what I'm trying to say. Um, so anyways, that next morning after that night out of drinking, my son ended up being at the place that I ended up after the bar. That's how he saw all sorts of crazy crap. And to this day, I still don't have any idea what my son saw that night. It's not something we talk about and it's not something that I want to know um, because, you know, it was another one of my blackout episodes. So I have no idea of what all happened that night. Anyways, that next morning, you know, so worried about the fact that my son had been there that night and immediately hopping into damage control that I had done for so many years before, you know, I immediately went to my son and I said, you know, I have to apologize to you and ask for your forgiveness. And at that time, my son was uh, 16, because I believe he was driving at the time. And he just looked at me and he said, you don't need to apologize to me. You need to apologize to yourself and you need to call your sponsor. Talk about just being like, holy shit, did my 16 year old son just like, I don't even know, he just like put me in my place. So anyways, that relapse did end up being the best thing that I needed. Um, at, you know, at that moment when I went to my meeting that very next day after being out drinking and binge drinking that night before, um, it just really like hit home how scary it was to go back out that night. Because one of the things that I had heard in the program over the course of almost, you know, that two years was anytime an alcoholic had went back out and relapsed, they basically picked right back up where they left off and things were often worse, a lot quicker than, I don't know what I'm trying to say. But anyways, you know, that really scared me because that night, like, I I mean, I just so vividly remember what happened. 
Um, you know, as soon as that first sip of alcohol touched my lips, I was literally double fisting at the bar and the waitress could not bring me drinks fast enough. Now, why she was serving me as much as she did is an entirely different story. Um, but it was like I could not consume enough alcohol to feed that like just ferocious hunger. It was it was just really, really scary. And, um, you know, that next day I was just like, I was scared shitless, you know, and um, that's when I decided, okay, this is it. You know, you've been lying the last couple months. Anytime you've been at a meeting, you've been smiling and saying, oh, I'm doing great. Things are wonderful. And, um, you know, hadn't been meeting with my sponsor, hadn't been doing any of the inner work, hadn't been doing any of the 12 steps of the program. So um, that immediately became like the most important thing for me at that moment in time. And I also had to make a really tough decision that I needed to remove myself from the situation of where I was living in a very, very small northern Michigan town. And I needed to move several hours away to get out of that environment and put myself in an environment where I could focus completely on myself and my sobriety. And it was really hard, you know, making that move several hours away from my son and my friends and um, family and like the recovery group, you know, that I had up there, but it ended up being the best thing. Okay, so now that I have rambled for like five minutes about that whole relapse, that's not even what today's show is about. So as I mentioned, March 3rd is a big milestone in my life. March 3rd, um, I celebrated seven years sobriety. So I decided, because I don't talk a whole lot about my sobriety anymore, Um, I decided that today I wanted to talk about seven things that I've learned over the last seven years of being sober. In no particular order, we are going to talk about it starts with love, look around you, be willing to be vulnerable, learn to live life on life's terms, forgive yourself, you've got to do the inner work, And seven, embrace those annoying ass AA quotes. Okay, so number one, it starts with love. And again, this is in no particular order. These are just seven things that I have learned and realized over the last seven years of being sober. So one, it starts with love. Now, the very first AA meeting that I walk into, I am a hot fucking mess. I mean, literally, my life has pretty much fallen apart. Um you know, my business was falling apart. I wasn't paying bills because I was spending so much money on alcohol. I mean, I was just a hot freaking mess. And I'm going into this AA meeting and it's a woman's meeting. So I feel comfortable because, you know, it's all women around me and they're all sharing. And like the one of the very first things when, you know, they asked if I wanted to share um, as I'm sharing, it got done sharing, you know, like everybody's just like, we'll love you until you can love yourself. And I'm sitting there in my head. Okay, first I'm rolling my eyes. (laughs) I did a whole hell of a lot of eye rolling over the years in AA, let me tell you. Um, But you know, they're, they're just telling me over and over, we'll love you until you can love yourself. We'll love you until you can love yourself. And I'm just like, 
who the hell are these freaking ass crazy fucking women telling me that they're going to love me until I can love myself? Because I don't need love. All I came into this, you know, program for was because I needed to figure out how to fucking quit drinking and save my life and put my life back together. Little did I know that Oh my God, the whole basis of my sobriety and to where I am today has all stemmed from it starts with love. It slowly started to make sense that I needed these women to love me because I did not love myself. Oh my God, did I not love myself? And I couldn't even... I couldn't even begin to understand in my head that I needed to love myself in order to change so many things in my life. Sure, I knew that I needed to quit drinking to stay sober and to save my life and to put everything back together in life, but I had no idea that it needed to be also all about loving myself and letting others love me. So, you know, as I get more into the program and I'm continued to continuing to build these friendships and, you know, read more of the AA literature and the AA big book and things like that. As I'm, you know, letting these walls down and letting these women just embrace me and love on me, like I slowly start to learn that, okay, this has a lot to do with, I have to love myself too. Because Um, you know, one of the reasons that I was drinking and numbing my feelings and everything was because there was so much shit that had happened in my life that I was just bottling up and not wanting to, you know, deal with and care about. And I didn't think that I deserved love or um, that I deserved a good life or anything like that. So the whole basis of where I am today, it started with love. As crazy as it was hearing those women tell me, we'll love you until you can love yourself. It's so true. (laughs) So number two, Look around you. Now, what I mean by that is when I went into the program, there's a wide range of at least, you know, where I was in AA, and I'm assuming it's probably the same for everywhere. Um, there was a wide range of people in the AA program, doctors, lawyers, dentists, um, single moms, you know, husbands, wives, um, daughters, I had the utmost respect for the kids that were in high school that, you know, came into the program Um, because, oh my God, I think back to when I was in high school, that was like prime drinking days. But so what I mean when I say look around you is that I had to find those people that had what I wanted. And what I mean by that was I knew that I needed to stay sober. So There was people that had been in the program, um, you know, that had been in there for one day, five days, seven days, two months, a year. And I knew, okay, yeah, they've got what I want, but I knew that I wanted more. I knew that I wanted somebody that had some long-term sobriety under their belt. I wanted some quote-unquote for a lack of better word. I wanted, you know, elders, (laughs) Um. And I don't necessarily mean that it had to be an older person. It just needed to be an elder in AA that had, you know, at least three plus years sobriety. And once I found those people, 
those are the people that I kind of like latched onto and stuck around because I knew that they had with that they had what I wanted and I could kind of, um, you know, like just follow them. So again, number two, look around you. And then once you find those people that have what you want, stick with them. Number three, be willing to be vulnerable. Now, what I mean by this, this could entail so many things because definitely my sobriety journey has been a lot about being vulnerable. But in this particular case, what I'm saying about this being vulnerable is aka share. So if you're at a meeting, don't sit and be quiet. Don't keep things bottled up. Um, yes, sometimes meetings can be really large and you only have, you know, a short amount of time to make sure that everybody that wants to speak has time to speak. But I remember in the beginning for me, there was times that I just knew I can often personally tell when I need to share something. I just get this, you know, my heart will, <clears throat> excuse me, my heart will start racing and it's just, it's like a God you know, wink or whatever, I don't know, telling me, you know, you need to get this off your chest, you need to share. So for me, I always knew when I needed to share something. But I can remember back to so many meetings um, that I would be like, oh, you know, it's a big group and there's lots of people here. So I'm just going to be quiet and not share so that others have, um, you know, time to share if they need to. And once I realized that, you know, I have to be selfish here. Yes, I'm here to also, you know, support and encourage other people and, you know, help them um, to want to keep coming back and to stay sober and things. It was also all about me. Like I needed to be selfish. And if I needed to share and talk, I needed to take that time to do it and to not worry about, oh my gosh, am I taking, you know, time away from someone else? Because honestly, my sobriety was more important. And I know it sounds horrible to say, but my sobriety was more important than the person sitting next to me. And I, I don't mean that. Um, I don't mean that to sound like really bad, because everybody's sobriety at that table was always important to me. But, um, you know, it was just a time to be selfish and to focus on me and sharing what I needed to say. Okay, so next on my list of seven things I've learned these last seven years being sober is learn to live life on life's terms. And holy shit, even after seven years sober, this to this day is still probably one of the hardest things that I struggle with. Um, we all know <laughs> that life happens, shit happens. Um, and, you know, learn to live life on life's terms is not always just about the bad things that happen. It's about, you know, the good things, the unexpected things, too. Um, but, you know, for me, I'm talking more about kind of like the the bad things that have happened over the years, you know, the death that comes, um, the loss of maybe friendships, um, I don't know, the loss of jobs, the loss of relationships, whatever. So, um, one of the hardest things with being sober is I had to learn how to deal with 
all this shit that was coming at me, this whole, you know, life on life's terms, I had to learn how to handle the emotions and the overwhelm and the anxiety and the frustration and the sadness and everything that I, you know, always feel when something happens. For example, there's been um, recently a couple deaths and I'm, I'm talking two deaths in six days. Like, holy shit, it's been a lot to deal with. And that's all about life on life's terms. I have no control over that. You know, obviously God decided that it was, you know, their time. And it does not bring me any fucking comfort to say that it was their time. But, you know, this is all about life on life's terms. And even after seven years being sober, it's crazy that sometimes the very first thought that just pops into my head when something like this comes up is, I just need to drink and numb myself. And I mean, there was two days during these, you know, this um, like two week period since these deaths happened. And this is recent, like the very beginning of March. Um, So just, you know, we're just now going into the third week of March. So this is recent. And I'm sharing with you that I've been sober for seven years, but that thought is still there. Like I... Having to deal with life on life's terms is not easy, and sometimes it just fucking sucks. (laughs) Um, But thank God that I have, um, like, what I call a recovery toolbox. You know, even after all this time, I still have the friends that I can reach out to. I have, you know, my AA Big Book. I have lots of other, um, like books and inspirational things. And I know that, you know, like taking a walk helps clear my head and um, just keep me present and not thinking about, you know, doing um, the drinking because, you know, I know what's going to happen if I drink. And one of the other things too is, um, you know, I learned early on in recovery to think it through to the end. So even though, you know, all this happened with the deaths and, um, you know, the thoughts of wanting to drink, like I've had to think it through to the end. And what that does is it just literally walks me through what happens when I make that first step and go and buy alcohol and take the first drink and, you know, just like the downward spiral until I get to the end. And ultimately, it would lead to death if I went back to where I was before I got sober. Um, So, okay, learn to live on life's terms. And again, it's not easy, but we can do hard things. All right, number is this, I think this is five. Uh, Yeah, five. Okay, so forgive yourself. This kind of tied back into that whole it starts with love thing. Um, Oh, my gosh. Talk about being like a professional ass kicker. And I'm not talking about ass kickers to other people. I'm talking about my own ass kicking to myself. I was queen of feeding quarters to the ass kicking machine. Like and I still to this day sometimes find myself doing it. And I constantly have to remind myself that I have, you know, I've forgiven myself in 
the past for shit that happened in the past, but there's still things that pop up from time to time that I have to remind myself the past is the past. I cannot go back and change anything that happened in the past. And I used to really struggle with that because I heard a lot of people when I was actively drinking, um, I was a shithead. <laughs> I mean, I don't know any other way to put it, but I was just, uh, yeah, I think back to some of the shit that I did when I was drinking and I just honestly do not know how people dealt with me because, oh my God, you know, some of the stuff that I know, I'm just like, wow. So I can still from time to time pick up those quarters and feed them into the ass kicking machine. So it's been really important that I have grace with myself and, you know, having grace with myself means I may constantly be forgiving myself and just reminding myself, you know, God's forgiven you for the shit you've done. It's time for you to, you know, once again, forgive yourself. And just I have to remind myself the past is the past. I have to let it go. I can't change anything that happened in the past. Um, so that's been like a huge part of getting to, you know, where I am today and being able to celebrate seven years sobriety. All right, moving on. Number six, you've got to do the inner work. Now, I can promise you one thing because it's been my experience. Doing the inner work is going to fucking be ugly. It's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. And there's going to be times that you just want to throw in the towel and say, fuck it. It's too hard. It's not worth it. I'm not doing it. But on the other hand, I can promise you one other thing. You do that inner work and you come out on the other side. Oh my God, it's so fucking worth it. Like it is so, oh, I think back to um, my hardest steps in AA were step number four and step number five. And gosh, I hope I'm saying I'm right. It's been so long since I actually looked at the different steps, but I think four was, you know, like just writing down all of my, I don't know what you want to call them, you know, everybody that I've hurt, all the, everybody that I hurt, all the things that I did. And step five was sharing those. Um, and in my case, I shared with my sponsor. Others that I know have shared with like a therapist. Um, those were like, the hardest things, but I think back to like literally the pivotal point in my sobriety and in my life was the day that I did that fifth step and shared that shit with my sponsor. Oh my God. Like it was, I mean, as weird as it sounds, I am smiling and have goosebumps just thinking back to that moment because finally, all that shit that I had been carrying around on my shoulders, all those rocks that I had been carrying in my pocket, um, just all that weight that had been on my, you know, chest and all that stuff that I had kept bottled up for so long, it finally was no longer like the skeletons in my closet. Like suddenly I had been willing to get that shit out and share it with somebody. And that was, oh my God, like that just literally changed everything. Like 
it just literally, you know, you hear people say, it feels like a ton of bricks has been lifted off me. It literally felt like a ton of bricks had been lifted off me. It, I felt lighter, like I stood up taller. It was, it just literally was a pivotal point in my sobriety and in my life. So number six, again, you've got to do the inner work no matter how much it sucks. Because when you come out on the other side, it's going to be so freaking worth it. And number seven, the seventh thing I've learned these last seven years of being sober is embrace those annoying ass AA quotes. Not familiar with them? Let me give you a few. You're right where you're supposed to be. Don't quit before the miracle happens. Keep coming back. And I, as I'm saying them, I'm literally rolling my eyes. <laughs> and I think back to, and you know, my my girlfriends that I, um, you know, grew really close to in my sobriety back in um, when I lived in Northern Michigan, you know, they're still friends today. And we would joke about all the eye rolling that Tisha did and all the freaking crying, like, they, you know, joke that literally like the first six months of sobriety, Tisha was either crying or rolling her eyes. <laughs> um, but those AA sayings, no matter how annoying and how many times I roll my eyes at them, those things come out of my mouth to this day more often than I want to admit. Like they served a purpose and there's a reason <laughs> that people over the years you know, have used and continue to use those, um, you know, those sayings. And I just think about it, like the one that I absolutely hated the most was, you're right where you're supposed to be. Oh my God, like it still gets under my skin to this day. But I think back to everything that has happened in my life. And every time that, um, you know, I've heard that you're right where you're supposed to be. And I even have told myself it sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> I was exactly where I was supposed to be when I needed to be. And that has been the case with, you know, something bad that's happened in my life or something, you know, good that's happened in my life. So something bad that was, you know, you're right where you're supposed to be was my tax situation. And if you listen to the previous episode before this one, I shared that I have had suicidal thoughts because the tax situation is so, um, like, I just don't see an end to the situation or a way out. So, um, but that situation, as bad as it is, like back when I, you know, shared with somebody I ended up being right where I was supposed to be because that person knew a tax person and they put me in touch with that tax person and that tax person helped me get, you know, my back taxes filed and didn't charge me anything because she knew that I was new in recovery, trying to get all that stuff. She knew that I was trying to do the next right thing. Um, so, you know, that was a crummy situation to be sharing that situation with somebody, but I was right where I was supposed to be because that person needed to be there to tell me and to help me, you know, have a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel and getting that stuff filed. And then I think about, 
um, you know, a good situation and being right where you're supposed to be. My sister was a traveling nurse and um, signed a contract to work in Portland, Oregon for three months and asked if I wanted to help her, um, you know, pack up and move from Michigan to Oregon. And I'm like, hell yeah, I'm always a hell yeah to a road trip. I love traveling. And at that point in my life, um, for like the past three to four years, I had been talking about I'm moving south, I'm moving south, I'm moving to Florida. As soon as my son graduated, the plan was to move to Florida. But Every time there was always just like a door that was closing and it wasn't happening. So, um, so here I am, you know, on this road trip with my sister and oh, holy shit. Here we are. I still like I get goosebumps just, um, remembering back to that day. We are on the third day, the last day that we are going to be traveling and we're coming into, um, I believe it's called like the gorge, the Columbia River Gorge in Oregon. And we just come to this point where, oh my God, it was literally just, it was so breathtaking. Like I started crying. <laughs> like it was, I was just like so overwhelmed with the beauty. Here is this big ass river. There's just these like um, mountains, rolling hills, whatever you want to call them. And I was just like, Oh, I don't even know how to put it into words. Like you have to see it in person to understand just like the overwhelming like feeling that you get. And, um, you know, so I spent a couple days, you know, in Oregon with my sister and um, back in Michigan, I had been on um, a couple different dating apps and I didn't even think about the fact that like the dating apps were location based. So as I'm out here, um, in Oregon with my sister, you know, my my dating app is starting to ping that I have messages and stuff. And I was like, oh, well, crap. Um, you know, so like uh, I ignored several messages and then um, like it popped up something because I had looked at somebody else's profile, like it popped up. Oh, you might be interested in, you know, this profile or something. So I ended up looking at this man's profile and, um, you know, didn't message him or anything, but he was like notified that I had looked at his profile or something. So he had went and looked at my profile and he ended up messaging me. And um, I wasn't going to message him back, but I was like, oh my gosh, he writes in complete sentences. He uses punctuation. And most importantly, he did not send me a dick pic. Ladies, if you are single and in the dating world, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. So right there, I was like, okay, that's like a huge plus for this man. And then I was like, but you know, he freaking lives out here. I'm going back to Michigan. You know, what's the point in, um, you know, like chatting with him? Anyways, long story short of being, you know, that annoying AA quote, you're right where you're supposed to be. I was right where I was supposed to be because we ended up, um, you know, chatting, exchanging phone numbers. And um, well, here I am. We've now been dating almost four years. I made a cross country move to move from Michigan out here to Vancouver, Washington to move in with him. And, um, you know, things are going great. So that was just one of that was a good, you're right where you're supposed to be versus a bad, you're right where you're supposed to be. So 
Um, I'm going to just quickly kind of reiterate those seven things that I've learned these last seven years of being sober. Again, I shared them in no particular order. So one, it starts with love. Two, look around you. Three, be willing to be vulnerable and share. Four, learn to live life on life's terms. Five, forgive yourself and stop feeding those quarters to the ass kicking machine. Six, you've got to do the inner work. And seven, embrace those annoying ass AA quotes. So thank you guys. I loved, you know, sharing this again. I don't talk a whole lot about my sobriety anymore. Um, Sometimes I feel like, well, what is there to say? Yeah, you know, I've got another day sober. (laughs) Um, So it was actually really fun doing this episode because, um, again, I don't talk about my sobriety very often, but oh my gosh, there's so many things that I've learned over the years. It was really hard choosing just seven to share. So maybe there will be some more episodes in the future. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, I would love it if you left a review Uh, subscribed, shared it with anybody that you think might enjoy this episode or any of the other episodes. Have a great day, guys. If you'd like to get the show notes for today's episode, be sure to head on over to shiningself.com forward slash 36. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Your Shining Self podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment and share with others that need a message of hope, love and transformation.